And the first question is, what's the most homesick you've ever been? Now, I know all of us have been homesick at some point, right? So what's the most homesick that you've ever been in your entire life? Anybody? When you had all those, those four operations in the States, so you had to stay in the States for all that time. Okay. When you was in England, right? <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I remember that long letter you sent us, and now you wanted to come back home, and now the weather was so bad and cold and dreary. Okay, anybody else? Living in New York. Living in New York. Okay. I got married. Leaving Michigan and my family and everything. Moving here to Nassau. Okay. So we've all had, had that homesickness at some particular point or another. When we were living in Florida, I wasn't homesick. I just didn't like living in Florida. Um, I, I didn't like all those taxes they did charge you. Man, they get so many taxes. You know, you're not used to that, right? You know, and so when, you're, when your utility bill come and you see uh, uh, federal tax and local tax and state tax and, and all on one bill, you know, that was a, that was a blow to me. You know, uh, I said, why do these people have the charge? And then I understood why, you know, some, some people fell through the cracks because the ministry we, we were doing, we were ministering to people who are transients, people who, are, who fell through the cracks. And we met a lot of people. Who, who fell through the cracks, people who had uh, promising lives and careers and they lost their family, they lost their jobs, they lost their career, and uh, when, you, when you get taxed like that, you can't hardly recover, you know, and so we saw a lot of that, and uh, in fact, some of them told us that, of that as well. And so we all have had uh, homesickness at some particular point or another. Let's look at the uh, Bible Meets Life on page 54. Could someone read that, please? At one time or another, you may have suffered from what doctors call the distress and functional impairment caused by an actual or anticipated separation from home and, attached, and attachment objects. You probably just called it being homesick. It may have been. The first time you stayed overnight at a friend's house, but the first time you stayed the first time you stayed overnight at a friend's house. The first time you went to summer camp. The first few weeks at boot camp or the freshman dorm. When you're homesick, you don't miss your actual home. You miss the security, protection, and love your home represents. But have you ever been homesick for a place you've never seen? Followers of Christ have been adopted into God's family. We are citizens of heaven, our true home. The book of Revelation gives us a brief glimpse into what this new home is like and would wait, and would wait for us when we finally stand in the presence of Christ. Okay, now notice the point at the top of page 54. What does it say? A life in Christ means a life in Christ forever. A life in Christ means a life with Christ forever. Okay, let's look at the, um, the passage in terms of what the Bible has to say about this promise of a new home that uh, all of us are looking forward to. And let's, uh, in our hearts, pray that the Holy Spirit will empower us uh, as we engage in this passage uh, to understand what that's all about. 
Okay, now notice the setting of Revelation. Uh, before we read the verse, the setting of Revelation details the consummation of world history in which God judges all those who reject his offer of salvation and those who also oppose him in terms of his offer of salvation. Chapter 21 describes a time immediately after the great white throne judgment. That's after Satan and all of God's enemies have been doomed to the lake of fire as recorded in, in Revelation chapter 20. Uh, in details, it, 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 uh, it details the coming of the new heaven and the new earth, which is a time of fullness and of God's rule and reign. Okay, let's have someone read the first uh, three verses, please, of Revelation on page 55 of your personal study guide. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer existed. I also saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her son. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God dwelling with is God look, God dwelling is with humanity. And he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Okay, now notice verse one. The phrase a new heaven and a new earth. You know, they say like, they, they, some people say, Bahamian like new things. Anytime you hear an announcement of something new, well, you can, people are flocking there. And you can see crowds all over the place. Well, that's not just Bahamians. A lot of people like new things, right? The Bible talks about a new heaven and a new earth in several passages. We see it in Isaiah chapter 65 and 66, and also in Second Peter chapter 3. It's talking about, a, about new things. A new home, a new heaven, and a new earth. But as might be expected, there are several interpretations to this phrase and no easy answers to exactly explain what it means. I guess when we get to heaven one day, God will explain what it, exactly it means. What we do know, however, is that a great change is coming. In other words, we know it's going to be a lot different from what we know now as a, new, as, as a heaven and earth. In this particular verse, the nature of the new heaven and earth stands in contrast to the first heaven and earth, that is the one we have now, which will not continue as they are forever. Purity is a characteristic of the new heaven and earth, as there will be no sin there. You nobody will be able to sneak nothing in. You know, a lot of times we, we have uh, restrictions in terms of on earth, what we can do and what we cannot do, but people always somehow defy those restrictions. I remember when we had the mission conference at, uh, at um, ET, and they said no food in the sanctuary. And believe it or not, some people brought some food in. Okay, and that was clearly announced. No food that people brought in. Well, in the new heaven, there'll be no sin, and you can't sneak none in. Okay, like people like to do. The new world will be marked by perfect fellowship of believers with one another and with God. Now, you know that that ain't happening now, right? There's no such thing as perfect fellowship among believers now. And that's why you see so many churches popping up all over the place. Because there's a, there's a void, there's a problem with fellowshipping among God's people. And when they get tired and sick and tired of dealing with somebody, they go and start their own thing. Okay, but this new heaven, there'll be a, a perfect 
fellow, one of the, the highlights of this new home is that they're going to be perfect fellowship of believers with one another and with God. There are believers who don't have perfect fellowship with God now. And it's, it's a, it, it'll be final. The perfect, perfect, perfected state of the universe will be prepared by Him. Now the sea, there's a lot of mention about the sea. Well, the sea was often a place of chaos in the minds of the Jews. Already in the book of Revelation, it is shown to be the source of, satanic, of the satanic beasts, as we see in Revelation 13. And also the place of the dead in Revelation 20. But then in verse 2, he mentions the holy city, the new Jerusalem. What does that refer to? It refers to the residence of the redeemed. It's our new home. A new Jerusalem is necessary because the old one was not perfect and it was spoiled by the sinfulness of humanity. Okay, so that wouldn't work. This city coming down out of heaven and being set on earth may be a symbolic of how glorious the dwelling place of the righteous will be. A representation of heaven in the image of a beautiful city of which Jerusalem is an example. Just as the church is often described as the bride of Christ in the scriptures, here in this verse, the holy city is described as the bride adorned by her husband. Look at page 56. Let's have someone read that. It gives us some more details here. God has promised his children an eternal home that eclipses even the finest neighborhoods and the most exclusive sisterhoods. God's home is perfect because it's in the presence of God himself. Revelation 21 paints a beautiful picture of God's perfect home. And that perfection is made real by the fact that God himself will live with us in that place for eternity. Mm-hmm. Revelation 21 begins with a wonderful picture. The pain we presently experience will no longer be an issue because the first heaven and the first earth has passed away. In their place will be a new heaven and a new earth. They will be new, not merely in a chronological sense, but in the sense of quality. The new heaven and earth will be far superior to the earth we know now. Then they will transcend everything we've experienced. John also called the New Jerusalem the Holy City. The place is holy because everyone and everything inside it is holy and righteous. This is the city of God's redeemed people. Interesting. Living in the city means we will live together, and together we will be in perfect harmony. What truly makes our future home so wonderful is that, as John declared in verse 3, God himself will inhabit this city with his children. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. God has been among his people in the past, but never like them. God dwelt among the Israelites in the tabernacle and later in the temple. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, Exodus 40, 34. God dwelt among us during Jesus' earthly life. The Word became 
flesh and took up residence among us. John 1.14. God's presence in our new home will neither be temporary nor only for a select few. We will have an eternal home in God's eternal presence. Okay, interesting. Now notice some specific insights about heaven being by highlighting, notice that some specific insights about heaven pointed out in that and this uh these paragraphs. Revelation 21 begins with a wonderful picture. The pain we presently experience will no longer be an issue. A lot of people experience pain today in some sort or another because the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Okay, so whatever pains we experience in this life, people spend their whole life sometimes going dealing with pain. They go to doctors and they can't find the problem. Terrence Antonio is dealing with that right now. He has a pain in his right foot, below the knee, and the doctors can't figure it out. He has to deal with it. They, they, they keep giving him medication and it doesn't work. And there are people who go through their entire lives dealing with pain at some particular point or another. Well, the Bible says when we get to that new home, that's not going to exist there. And then the, the other thing mentioned, the other point is, John also called the new Jerusalem the holy city in verse 2. The place is holy because everyone and everything inside it is holy and righteous. Boy, wouldn't it be fantastic to be in a place like that? You know, today we have all kinds of issues with uh, people and uh, righteousness. And then the other point he makes in verse 3 is, what truly makes our future home so wonderful is that, as John declared in verse 3, God himself will inhabit this city with his children. And uh, wherever God is, everything's going to be okay. No problems. Okay, verse 4 and 5 continue to offer some specific blessings we will encounter in heaven. But there's, a, there's an activity on page 57 uh, with some questions. Anybody answered any of those questions? Many people have questions and misconceptions about eternal life. How would you respond to one of the following statements? There's no place in heaven for a person like me. What would you say to a question like that? Hmm? There's a place for everyone. There's a place for everyone. Do you think you're so bad that you can't go to heaven? No, I would never make it there on my own. But because Christ died for us, that's how great. Amen. Okay. All roads lead to heaven. Is that true? No. Not so. Not so. That's what uh, some people say who uh, get involved in all of these false religions. All roads lead to heaven. That is absolutely not true. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. There's only one road. Life, this life is all there is. And all we can hope for. Oh, no. Oh, no. Absolutely false. But that some people believe that. You know, uh, you talk to some people and say, child, I'm, I'm experiencing hell on earth right now. Yeah. You know, when they talk about the problems that they're going through. And uh, they think that there's no, no place else. What questions would you like to have answered about the afterlife? If there are any questions, what questions would you like to have answered about the afterlife? or life after this. Anybody have any questions? Why are things are done sometimes here and we have no answer for them? Hmm? Why things are done here and we have no answer for them? 
why things are done here and we have no answers for them. Okay? Huh? Well, they, they, they said the sun, the Bible says the sun will be there and there will be, uh, because the sun is there, there'll be a day all the time, there'll be no night. You know? Uh -huh. My granddaughter asked me, she said, when we get to heaven, would I still be like a little girl, but I still want to hug you the same? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think um, we, when we get to heaven, the Bible says we can have new bodies, but it doesn't say that we're going to age any particular way. So I believe uh, just how we leave this earth, we're going to probably go to heaven and be what we are in heaven. You know, I don't think there's going to be any rapid acceleration of growth for children who die and go to heaven. They'll probably go to heaven as children. I, I would think uh, we are not going to be so concerned with this. All our focus is going to be on worshiping Him. Mm -hmm. We, right now, we too are to my family, my dad, my dad. We have one focus on Him, worshiping Him. Yeah, self, it's, it's, it's been said that. We are going to be one. So That's real. You're going to be my sister, you're going to be my whatever we are. So it's no. We got to be what he wanted us to be. Well, it's just perfect harmony among God's people. And he said that former things will pass away. Former things will pass away, and all things will be new. Our greatest enemy for the believer on earth today is self. That's right. That's our biggest enemy, self. Uh, we are too. We are self-absorbed, and uh, no matter how much we get to know the Lord, that uh, there is that 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 enemy always lurking in the darkness uh, to want to take care of me, myself, and I. But that'll be gone when we get to glory. All the focus will be on the Lord Jesus. I would love to know whether I will see my husband, my mother, my father, my sister, and my brother again. Well, there was an indication that we'll, we'll see our loved ones again. Yes. You know, and we'll know them when we see them. Even though our, uh, we'll get a new body, I think there will still be a knowledge of those whom we love, and we'll be able to... Uh, to spend time with them and meet them and rejoice with them. Well, that's 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 where we'll be able to experience what love really is for the first time. Okay, let's look at the other verses. Uh, someone read verses four and five, please. Page Okay, now look at verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief and crying and pain will no longer exist. You know, although tears are sometimes the result of joy, they are often symbols of the expression of pain, sorrow, and grief. The fact that God will wipe away every tear from the eyes of the redeemed is one of the realities of the new heaven and the new earth. That's a tremendous reality of the new heaven and the new earth. The very hands that were nailed to the cross will wipe away the tears of the pain we have shared here on earth, on the old earth. And there will be no 
there will never be a tear shed in the new heaven and earth. Not only will there be no tears, but there'll also be no more death. No more funerals to go to. No more obituaries. Okay, our future, <laughs> no more undertakers, eh? Undertakers will be out of business. In our eternal future glory, no one will ever die. Can you imagine a time like that? No one ever dying? Again, this is a contrast between the present world where death is a common occurrence and is also a fact of life. It's mind-boggling to consider that all who put their faith in Christ in this world will live forever. But it's the truth. John goes on to write about grief, crying, and pain. It will also not exist. Grief for any kind of loss we can imagine will be non-existent because there will be no loss to grieve over. While this old earth had countless sources of sorrow and grief, it will be abolished forever. While John has already mentioned in this verse that there will be no more tears, he writes that there will also be no crying, no more crying. And this verse refers to the type of crying or wailing that might result from pain or suffering that people go through on this earth. Those of you who watched the news the last evening would have seen the family grieving and mourning over the body that was found in the car in the canal. There'll be no more of that. Since the future state will contain none of these things, there will be no crying and no reason to cry. Likewise, there will never be any more pain which is also mentioned separately from grief and crying. This would be inclusive of any type of physical or mental pain or any other kind that might visit us here on earth. So any kind of pain you can imagine, it will no longer exist in heaven. Okay, let's have someone read the passage on page 58, please. Further highlights these things in these verses. Almost every week, I minister to people suffering loss. Parents whose children died far too young as a result of accidents, driving, or home fires. Young children whose beloved grandfather died after years of chronic pain. Fathers who tried to explain to young children why their moms won't be coming home from the hospital. How can we find hope in, the, in, those, in those moments? It's only through the promise of God, it's only through the promise in God's word, specifically the promise that we will one day live in the presence of God. When we're in his presence, when we're, we're, when we're in his presence forever, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer. No death. Our new home in heaven will be a place of total victory. John wrote previously that death would be thrown in the lake of fire. Consequently, death has been swallowed up in victory. No grief, no sin, regrets, or loss will afflict us. No crying. Crying is an outward expression of our grief, which will be no more. No pain. Painful experiences were first mentioned as a consequence of the fall. Since our sin will be, will be removed completely, all pain will be gone. Jesus spoke from his throne with hope. 
Look, I am making everything new. At the end of his earthly ministry, Jesus said, I am going away to prepare a place for you. Now in Revelation, we see Jesus making his promise an eternal reality. Jesus won't simply give a makeover to what we currently, to what we currently know. In Christ, we become a new creature, and we will dwell eternally with him in his new creation of eternal home. Okay, now notice the final paragraph there. It says, Jesus spoke from the throne with hope. From his throne with hope. Look, I am making everything new. According to verse 5. At the end of his earthly ministry, Jesus said, I am going away to, pre to prepare a place for you. John 14, 2. Now here in Revelation 21, we see Jesus making his promise of an, of an eternal reality. Jesus won't simply give a makeover to what we currently know. In Christ, we become a new creation, according to 2 Corinthians 5. And we will dwell eternally with Him in His new creation, our eternal home. So keep that thought in mind. Notice in that question, question number 3, on page 58. What are some experiences on earth that help you trust in the hope of heaven? What are some of the experiences on earth that help you trust in the hope of heaven? Any that we could think of? I've seen things always come our way. We look forward to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> I always told my children, I said, you know, if you had it too good down here, you wouldn't have fallen down. That's right. That's true. Yeah, and I think that's a lot of things that people look forward to. When, when we are faced with crisis, you know, we look forward to, boy, one of these days, I ain't have to go through this. One of these days they get to glory and I'm, there's none, this, this is not going to happen anymore. Okay, so crisis I would say would be one of those experiences uh, that we help, help us to trust in the hope of heaven. You know, no more pain, no more sickness, no more sorrow. Hmm? Someone said no more what? <laughs> Well, soon we can have NHI. <laughs> and what coming with that? More taxes. Yeah, no more taxes. Okay. Uh, someone said that um, in the, with, with the only thing that you can count on is, is death and taxes. Okay, Revelation chapter uh, 31, verses 6 to 8. Someone read those, please. 21. Page 55. 21. Yeah, 21. I said 31. Yeah. 21. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega. Yeah. That's it. Oh, that And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give water as a gift to the thirsty from the spring of life. The victor will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowards, unbelievers, vile, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, there shall be there shall be, will be, no, their share will be in the lake 
that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Okay. So you see verse 8? Cowards, unbelievers, vile, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Now, does it say some liars? No. See, some people have the impression that only some liars are going to go there. Those people who are chronic liars. But here, it makes it specific, right? It says all liars have their share in the lake. And I notice there are some definitions there for us to get a better clarity on what has been said in this passage. Notice the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. This phrase refers to hell, God's final place of punishment for the unsaved and the fallen angels. Now, no, when we think about hell, we often think about people who are unsaved going there. But it's also the place where the fallen angels are going to go. Okay? So those people will get to see some angels. And then there's a second death in verse 8. This term is synonymous with eternity in hell after judgment. It is a death in that it is a separation from God and all and is called the second death because it follows physical death. Okay? Second death. And then in verse 6, you notice the, the, the phrase Alpha and Omega, first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. Uh, they refer to God and Jesus and uh, being the beginning and the end, a description of the eternal nature and sovereignty, as well as his total and complete preeminence. Okay, question number four. What are the essential truths that verses 1 through 8 communicate about heaven? What are the essential truths that the first eight verses communicate about heaven? Or, to put it another way, how will the truth of these of verses 1 to 8 impact your life this week? There's another way of putting it. When we think about verses 1 through 8, how will those verses impact the way you live in the coming week, in the week to come? Because these verses are basically a reminder to us. We read this before. Okay. Promises. Promise that things are going to be better, that we're going to a better place. You want to speak a little louder so everybody can hear? No. <laughs> The question is, what are the essential truths that verses 1 um, communicate about heaven? And my reply is, is reading uh, the truth of God's word and being assured that his word is perfect and true. And what he has said about heaven is true. Okay. Okay, live the kind of life that reflects the person who's going there. Okay. All right, good. Uh, look at uh, page 59. The gift of our eternal home is not automatic. However, Jesus' offer of life is open to all people. But the only ones who can enter this new heaven and new earth are those who follow him. Number one. I will give water as a gift to the thirsty from the spring of life. 
what is a symbol for eternal life. When we, see, when we come to Jesus to receive water, He gives, when we come to Jesus to receive the water He gives, to partake of eternal life, He quenches our lifelong thirst. And two, the victor will inherit these things. We are victorious when we stand strong and remain faithful to Christ. We can't do this in our own power, but only when we rely on Jesus. All this is tied to our relationship with Jesus. When we come to Christ, we are adopted into God's family. We will fully experience all the benefits of that family relationship in our future home, which is heaven. Unfortunately, Jesus made it clear that not everyone will enjoy these benefits. In verse 8, he listed cowards, unbelievers, vile, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars as people who will be excluded from heaven. It's not the specific sin that matters, however. It's the choice to remain in sin rather than seeking forgiveness from Jesus. Without Him, we are lost. So looking for the perfect home, you can find it in Christ and with Christ. And the challenge is, I hope you will. Now notice the highlight there. Notice with some highlights there in this passage. All that is tied to our relationship with Jesus. When we come to Christ, we are adopted into God's family. We will, be fully, we will fully experience all the benefits of that family relationship in our future home, which is in heaven. All the benefits. Now, we get some of the benefits now, but we'll get the rest of those benefits when we get to heaven. And that's something to look forward to. Unfortunately, Jesus made it clear that not everyone will enjoy these, those benefits. And he lists those persons in verse 8. And so we know exactly, according to verse 8, who's going to hell. The verse tells us what kind of people are going to go to hell. So there should be no speculation in our minds about, I wonder who's going to hell. We know. He gives us the list right there. Okay? Cowards. And cowards could be characterized as those persons who refuse to accept Christ because they are fearful of what others may think of them or say of them. Those people are in the category of cowards. Okay? And then those who don't believe who God is, and that would include the atheists, uh, those who are vile, those who commit murders, and those who are uh, pedophiles, and those who are on the sexual offenders list of some uh, states that have those lists, and those who worship something other than God, all those persons. And of course, we mentioned already, all liars. Uh, everybody who has a tendency to tell lies. And, uh, and of course, you could probably think of some names already. Uh, who are, and then of course, they are chronic liars. Question number five. How will the truth expressed, the truths expressed in this passage impact your life this week? What changes in your life will be made as a result of reading this passage today? What things are you going to change? How is this, these verses going to make you make some changes in your life this week? And that's something that only you can answer as before the Lord. But it should make some changes.
Okay, uh, back to the point. A life in Christ means a life with Christ forever. And the key there is in, the key words are in there, in Christ. Okay, let's look at uh, page 60. In your, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, those ones who are not accepted Christ as the Savior and they would be put in the category of cowards. Those who have not accepted Christ, because what, why do people not accept Christ? What are the reasons why people don't accept Christ? What are some of the reasons? Of what other people are going to think or say about them. Exactly. Because of what other people are going to say or think of them. And they would be put into the category of cowards. Okay? Because they, they don't, I don't want to get saved because of they, what they're going to say about me or what they're going to think about me. And so they don't know Jesus Christ as Savior because they are too cowards to do so. Okay, so that's how they include them. Huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then also, the person who, who, persons who don't know Christ would also fit into the category of idolaters. Because if they're not serving Christ, they're serving something or someone. Okay? So they would fit into that category of idolaters as well. That answers your question? Just a thought. Sort of, okay. <laughs> Alright, so I'd say people could fit into those two, specifically into those two categories. You know, you because know, like you said, most people are, say, well, not everybody are bad people. Okay, so they wouldn't fit into the most, of, you know, the descriptions on this list. But if you don't know Christ, you haven't done so because of cowardice. Uh, the scripture says in John, he that believeth on, on uh, him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned. already. There's a, uh, another category that says unbelievers. Okay, that would fit the person also who don't know Christ, who have never accepted Christ, or don't, who don't know Christ. An unbeliever is a person who refuses to accept Christ but they don't, because they don't believe in what Christ has done for, for the work of salvation on the cross. So that person would be an unbeliever. And so you have three different descriptions here that could describe a person who has not accepted Christ as Savior. Cowards, unbelievers, and idolaters. Okay, let's look at live it out. Consider taking one of the following steps this week in response to the promise of life, of a life with Christ forever. The first one is remember the promise. And to do this, memorize Revelation 21.4 as a constant reminder of God's eternal promise. I will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. That's a good verse to memorize. And then the other one is, simplify your possessions. Earthly treasures and possessions can distract us 
from the promise of our eternal home. So take an inventory of your stuff, what you can get rid of or donate in order to maintain an eternal focus. Someone has said that uh, some, when, when the rapture comes, some believers are going to be going up feet first because they're going to be holding on to their stuff. Okay, their treasures on earth. Okay, and so this is saying simplify your possessions. Get rid of some of your stuff, those things that you are so attached to, so that you don't go, go up in the rapture feet first because you're holding on to your stuff or you want to carry them with you. You know, I uh, went to, um, we had a, a three storage units at Break Road and um, we went to this past week to clear them out. And um, the, uh, my boss is the husband and wife and the son. And uh, the son had a lot of toys in the storage that they wanted to, they were trying to get rid of this because they wanted to relinquish that expense. And so uh, the, the, the son was saying, okay, get rid of that, get rid of that. Uh, everything's going to the dump. And then the, the mother says, no, no, why don't you keep that? Uh, and, uh, and so the son says, mom, I'm not going to play with those toys no more. Get rid of them. Okay, but you know, we can give them to the grandchildren. They're not gonna play with them. They don't, they, don't, they don't want them, okay? And so there are times that people have stuff that they wanna hold on to, they don't wanna get rid of. What do they call those people? Hoarders. Hoarders, okay, or pack rats. You know, they don't wanna get rid of anything. I know a fellow like that, he had, he had, he had a whole ground floor full with stuff. And whenever he needed something, he said, you know what he said? He said, I know I got this somewhere. But I don't know time to let's go buy another one. And so he'd always buy something that he already had. Okay, the final one, take note of heavenly moments. In our lives on this, on this world are temporary. Our lives on this world are temporary. But we still experience moments of joy, peace, and contentment. Moments that reflect and foreshadow life in our heavenly home. Keep an eye out for such moments this week. Consider keeping a journal or recording notes in your, on, on your phone so that heavenly moments don't pass unnoticed. It's a phone or a notebook. Okay, and so the point is, it's good and natural for followers of Jesus to long for heaven. Spiritual homesickness is a happy symptom of our life in Christ. A life we will enjoy with Him forever. Amen?